Welcome to the Emerging Temple broadcast. I am Michael Obeyer. I will be your guide for the rest of this broadcast. At Emerging Temple, we seek to analyze current events within the context of God's plan for mankind, in which he intends, at the end of time, to raise up a people who will rule with him. Before I go any further, I want to encourage you to like our page, to subscribe to our channel, and if there is a notification bell icon, I would like you to hit that bell so you can be notified anytime we upload new videos. I want to encourage you to like this page so that we can develop the number of likes that we have so that we can come up in the rankings because we have a message that is critical for this hour and this time. So thank you so much for those of you who are already doing so. If you'd like to support our ministry, you can visit our website at templeoftruth.us. That's www.templeoftruth.us. Or you can go to patreon.com and look for our handle, Emerging Temple. These things are. No, my Lord, I answered. And then he said to me, this is the Lord's message to Zerubbabel. Not by an army, not by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. What are you, great mountain? And before Zerubbabel, you are but a plain. He shall bring out, he shall bring out the capstone amid exclamations of hail, hail to all. Okay. All right. So you went all the way to verse seven. Is that correct? Yeah, number eight, seven, yeah. Okay, all right, fine. Now, all of us all of us who've been, you know, in Bible studies, we've heard this phrase so many times, right? Where it says, uh, not by might, nor by power, right? There's even, we even sing the song, don't we? Yes. It's yeah. not by might, you know? Okay, good. All right. So, when you read Zechariah speaking, Zechariah is speaking during the time of Ezra. He's prophesying during the time of Nehemiah, okay? And here, God is speaking to him about a guy called Zerubbabel, okay? Now, look at verse 2, back to Ezra chapter 2, verse 2. And Ezra is telling us some of the people who are now older men, but who had been young people when they were taken out of Israel and had been fortunate to come back to Israel to rebuild the temple. Verse two, what are those names? Somebody read those names for us. God. Chapter two, verse two, Ezra. So go Yeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Mordecai, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, oh, wait a minute. Hey, who knows who Mordecai is? He was the one they were going to hang in Esther. Exactly. You all remember when I told you the Bible told us the queen was sitting next to the king? And I told you that queen was Esther? Yes. You all a couple of weeks ago or last week? Okay. Her uncle, the man who brought her to, you remember there was like a beauty competition to get a new wife for the king? And yes. she won. And she became the queen of the whole empire in the book of Esther, right? 
Yes. And yes. when she was when she was hesitant to help the children of Israel, it was Mordecai that said to her, "Don't think you're going to be saved when the wrath comes upon the children of Israel. How do you know if you've been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this?" Everybody remember that phrase? Yes. You've yeah. heard that so many times in church. Well, here's Mordecai, who in the book of Esther is like his her uncle. He's one of the heroes who goes back with Ezra and Nehemiah to rebuild the temple. Last week, what was Nehemiah rebuilding, everybody? Temple? Building no. The, the walls, wasn't he? There you go. Exactly. Last week, he started rebuilding the walls. He even told us the names of the gates, the fish gate, the horse gate, the dust gate. And Tobias and Samlet were making fun of them and saying, look, even a fox could ride, run on this wall and the wall would fall down. Now, Ezra, the book of Ezra is not about building the wall. It's about building the temple. Okay. The wall has been built by Nehemiah. So now we're going to see the temple being built. Now you understand why we studied Nehemiah before we started Ezra. Yeah, Even yeah. though chronologically in your Bible, Ezra comes before Nehemiah. Does it make sense now? Yeah, yes. and we, we encountered Zerubbabel and Nehemiah also. Exactly, and Ezra was the guy reading the Bible like from morning till night, and those guys said, oh, we'll do everything the Bible says yes. in the book of Nehemiah. Okay, all right. So I just wanted to point this out to us so that remember why we're doing these studies is we want to become familiar with the scriptures. We, want to be, we don't want to be intimidated by the Bible, okay? It's our father's book. It's an account our father has written, and he expects us to understand what he's talking about because our covenant agreement, our blessings, his yeses and his noes are contained here. So by us understanding the chronology, the, the, the what Paul referred to as the dispensation of time, by us understanding who, who is who, when they operated, then we're not intimidated, okay? We're seeing the connection between Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, and some guy called Zerubbabel, okay? And we're finding out, wait, this Zerubbabel was actually a contemporary of Mordecai and Nehemiah and Ezra, okay? And so as we continue, we begin to understand that after the captivity, they were sent back by three different kings, well, two or three, but I think three, three different kings, okay, to go rebuild the temple of God. One of the kings, the one that Nehemiah worked under, just saw Nehemiah looking sad and said, why are you looking sad? You remember? Mm -hmm. And Nehemiah says, well, why would I be sad? The temple of God sits fallow, you know, in Jerusalem. And he goes, okay, what do you need to fix it? Well, in the book of Ezra, we see another king. Guess what happens to him? He gets a dream direct from God saying, look, I need that temple built. Okay. You all read that, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And remember last week I mentioned, look, there's some connection between King Artaxerxes and Hercerus. I don't think they're two different people and all of that, right? And Ezra is going to help us clear that up a little bit. Okay. All right. So let's go to chapter one. Amen. 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 I'm going to read I'm going to read chapter 1 verse 1 to 4. Okay? It says, "Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, 
the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God, which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he surgeoneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Okay. Now, here we see a king called Cyrus. Okay, everybody? Yeah. In Nehemiah, we saw a king called Artaxerxes, correct? Yeah. yeah. And he is looking at um, Nehemiah looking sad and he's saying, what's the problem? Nehemiah gets that king to give him a letter on permission to go do work in Judah. We all remember that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here's another king now called Cyrus. Now, the account here is that God has moved Cyrus to go do, to go do, build this, this thing. All right. So the question now is, is Cyrus the same person as Artaxerxes? Or is this a different person? I want to say something to you. I am not sure. What I do know is that there is another king that's called Darius who comes later and is the son of Cyrus, but is also referred to as the son of Artaxerxes. Okay? Wow. <laughs> okay? So now if we skip chapter 2, because chapter 2 is all about all the names of the people and the descendants of those who came, okay? Right. And we go to um, chapter 3, okay? Look at verses, look at verse eight, okay? It says, now in the second year of their coming into the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Sheetil, and Jeshua, son of Josadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that went, that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem. These are all the people that had gotten permission from King Cyrus to come and do the work in God's temple. Isn't that what we read in chapter one? Yes. And we see Zerubbabel is one of the people that's there. Okay. Now, I don't know who is going to read chapter four, okay, or chapter three and chapter four, but forgive me for stepping on it. I know you're going to come back to it, but I'm going to talk about chapter four briefly and I'll stop. Okay. Now, look at chapter four from verse four to seven. It says, then the people of the land weaken the hands of the people of Judah and trouble them in building. Okay. Remember last week, we saw how they were trying to weaken the hands of Nehemiah. Correct? Yes. Notice we're seeing a different perspective of that same weakening, that same discouragement. Okay. Verse five says, 
and they hired counselors, lawyers, against them to frustrate their purposes all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Do you notice something there? Cyrus had sent them here, correct? Yes. And these guys who were in the land were trying to stop the work that they were doing. And the Bible says they continued doing it even up until the reign of King Darius. Okay? Now, look at verse 6. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, wrote they unto him an accusation against inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Now, just through a spanner in the works, we just got a third name, Ahasuerus, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, I want everybody to listen to me. This is my hypothesis, okay? I'm not speculating. I said hypothesis. Our Bible came to us not as, quote, the book of Ezra, the book of Chronicles, the book of this. We're the ones who have given it these names, correct? We all know that, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There was no book of Exodus, book of Genesis. We gave it these names. Now, sorry about the honking. But these scriptures were written by holy men. And so where they're joined together, nobody comes and says, oh, by the way, um, Anthony wrote this up to here. And then um, Kevin decided, you know, to put it together. And he, he continued writing from over here. You've got to be able to read and notice yourself that there has been uh, like an intersection. Okay. So if you look at verse seven, it says, and in the days of Artaxerxes wrote Bisham, he calls all these names, and the rest of their companions to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And the writing of the letter was written in the Syriac tongue and interpreted in the Syrian tongue. Okay. We've seen King Cyrus say, go and rebuild, correct? Yes. Yeah. Then we're told that even though King Cyrus had said, go and rebuild, some people were trying to frustrate the work of the Israelites whom he had sent, and they continued doing that up until the reign of Darius, correct? Yes. And yes. then finally, we hear, we see here that, and in verse 7, and in the days of Artaxerxes, well, who's Artaxerxes? Okay, so all of a sudden, here's a third person trying to the works. And notice we had also seen Ahasuerus before, right? Mm-hmm. Where did we see Ahasuerus? Uh, in verse 6, right? So what, I'm, so what I'm saying to you is this, that Ahas I believe that this Artaxerxes, that we're seeing here, the last Artaxerxes we're seeing here is a different Artaxerxes or might be a different Artaxerxes from Queen Esther's Artaxerxes. I'm not, you know, you know, putting it down. I'm saying he's the same person as Ahasuerus. He might be Darius, but I doubt it, okay? I know that there's a Cyrus. I know there's a Darius. What I don't know is, which of them is Artaxerxes, or is Artaxerxes a third person entirely? Okay. Um, Brother Mike? Yes, I, yeah, go ahead. Um, if you look at the 
sixth century, the sixth century kings of Persia, starting with yes. Cyrus the Great. Yes. Cyrus the Great reigned from 550 to 530 BC. Then there's okay. that's not there's two kings that are not in the Bible that are listed in history. Cambyses the yes. second from five. Cambyses who invaded Egypt from 530 to 522 BC. Then yes. Bardia, um, who was only there for 522 BC. Then there's Darius the first, the great, okay. from 522 to 486. Then there's Xerxes yes. the first, 485, 465. Then Artaxerxes from the first, from 465 to 424. So between Darius, between Darius and Artaxerxes, there was who? Xerxes, X-E-R. Okay. Yes. Xerxes and Artaxerxes is the same name. Then there's Artaxerxes the first, yes. who's 465 to 424. Then Darius Good. Second, 424 to 404. Then Artaxerxes the okay. second from 404 to 358. Fantastic scholarship. That's what that's what I want us to be doing. What you did now, that's that's the what you're doing. This is scholarship. This is Bible scholarship. Because you're looking here, you're going back, because these guys kept history, they kept account of themselves. We can go out there, we can go find out did such a person exist. Okay, and when did he exist, etc. So what we're seeing here is throughout the rebuilding of the temple, all they're trying to do is rebuild the temple. They're facing opposition. One king comes, another goes, another king comes, another goes, then he stops the work. Darius stopped the work. And then he found out that King Cyrus had written a commandment saying, cursed is anybody who doesn't allow that work to be finished. You guys remember that? And then he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Get that work started again. There's a curse on whoever stops this work. Okay. And that's what you read in the book of Ezra. Okay. So I just wanted to help everybody. I was wanted to, sorry for taking so much time. I wanted, I knew, I wanted us to contextualize what we're studying, what we're reading within the whole framework of what God was trying to do then as relates to rebuilding the temple. The first thing he rebuilt was the walls. Correct. We saw that in Nehemiah. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And then when they arrived here, the first thing they built was the altar. You'll see that in, um, I think, I don't know what chapter that is, maybe chapter six, seven. Okay. Um, 12, verse chapter three. If you look at chapter three, the first thing they do in verse two is rebuild the altar, verse two and three. Okay, chapter three, verse two and three in Ezra. So the first thing they do is rebuild the altar. Okay. Mm -hmm. And later on, I think in verse seven or verse six, sorry, chapter seven or chapter six, they rebuild the temple, at least begin rebuilding the temple. Okay. This is important for you to note, for you to remember. You have the wall, then you have the altar before you have the temple. Amen. 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 What's the what's the first thing you got? Wall. Wall. The wall. And what's the second thing? Altar. Altar. And what's the third thing? Temple. 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 What did we say the wall represents? Our bodies. No. Our soul. No, our, we said it last week. Uh, our character, yes. Our character. There you go. There you go. Powerful. 
And we said every single thing that happens to you in your life, good or bad, is like a brick building that character. Amen? Amen. I want you to understand that these books were not written by good men who just wanted to write something good and keep a diary. They were inspired by God because there's a message in there for the prince, the real prince, okay? And that message is that, first of all, character. Then the second thing was the altar. What is the altar? What do you do at the altar? Sacrifice. Sacrifice, there you go. So this altar is where you put your body as a sacrifice. You remember Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, that you present what? Your bodies as a sacrifice. This is your reasonable service. Okay. So after you develop character, then God will now start placing a demand on you as a person. Amen? Amen. God never demanded anything from Peter until he had formed Peter's character. When Peter said, I would never do that. He says, listen, you're going to deny, deny me three times for the cock crows tonight. Because Peter didn't have the character. Jesus told him, he says, listen, when you, when you gather yourself, get your brethren together, but you will deny me. Okay? God never put any demand on his, in fact, the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, how come we fast? But your disciples, all they do is eat. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Does, anybody, does anybody remember when the, the Pharisees came to complain to Jesus that Jesus' disciples didn't fast like other people? All they did was eat? <laughs> yes. You guys don't remember that? I remember. Yeah. Jesus didn't put any demands on them because he knew they didn't have the character. They were still fighting. Remember, one guy's mom came and asked, if her two children could sit next to Jesus. And that caused a fight, remember? Yeah, it's um, Matthew 9, 14, and also Mark 2, 18. Thank you, Matthew 9, 14. Okay, okay. So these apostles, these great apostles, didn't have the character. The wall in their life had not been built. And so God could not place a demand on them. Once the character has been, has been formed in you and I, the next thing God is going to demand is the sacrifice. Amen. You can't demand sacrifice from people without character. They'll flee at the first sign of battle. And the third thing they built was the temple. So after the altar, they built the temple. What is the temple, everybody? This is, this is a give me. Us. There you go. The we are the temple of God. Okay. So God must first deal with me and you as individuals by building our wall and building our altar. And then he brings us together and we form the temple. That's, yes. what, what's, that's, what, we're, that's what we're studying. And that's what's going on in your life and in my life and every single Christian's life on earth today. I don't care what denomination you're in. You're in one of these three stages. Sometimes you're in both at the same time. I don't know how he does it, but really it's, that's just the way it is. Okay, or all three of them at the same time. All right, sorry for taking so much time. Try to lay a context now. 
whoever had to read chapter three and four, please go ahead and tell us what you got from that. Okay. Yeah, that was me. I read three and four. Okay. And so in three, this was when um, they began to uh, build the temple. So I'll read. We already read. We already read, read verse two anyway. The people um, that came together for this, and it says. Um, then Yeshua, the son of Josadak and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So, um, I mean, they were afraid because there were people that you know didn't like the fact that they were building this altar and um so what they did was when they finished building the altar they started building the temple then they sent some 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 of their brethren um who were not happy sent some people to them to find out why they were building um what they were doing and then they explained what they were doing and they said they could join them to build the temple and and they said no we it's us we it's we have to be the ones to build the temple um where we worship they told them well we we worship your god as well we, we worship your god since since we were brought here since, by, since, we, since we were thrown here thrown here by a syrian king right. um, so you know <laughs> Yeah, um, so that you know, you should allow us to you know to build a temple with you, but then they refused. And so, what happened when they refused was these people um, went back um, to the king to say to the king, you know, we don't know why you're allowing these people to build um, to build this people. These are rebellious people. If you go through history, go through your archives, you would read about these people. They are known to be very rebellious, you know, and sedition. I just hearing that word sedition was quite funny. <laughs> I heard so much of it in the last week, you know, on CNN. Um, so that the, that these people that they were known to, you know, be you know seditious. They always CNN, CNN should have a show called Tobias and Sam. <laughs> <laughs> And they were very rebellious and they always fought against every king and they shouldn't allow them to build this because if they do, then he, they were going, he was, the king was going to lose that part of where they are and he won't get revenue from that, meaning he will lose control of that area and then the revenue that comes from there is no longer, they won't be subject to the king anymore. And um, the Biafrans. <laughs> yes. <laughs> rebellious people. Um, and so the king went into his archive, actually, and he did find out that really that's true. These people have been known to be very rebellious. And so he sent, so he sent a message to them to stop what they were doing. Exactly. Um, very unfortunate because um, I, I, what I didn't understand is if, if um, according to what you read in chapter one, it was God yes. 
you know, it was God's, um, it was, it was God that inspired this, this mission, this project. Yes. Um, why he allowed it to be frustrated because what he said here is they frustrated the, this mission king after king you know and i think several generations passed before they began in subsequent verse and uh, chapters that you're going to read now before they, yeah. they began to do this again so god allowed this to happen and there must be a reason why god allowed it to happen at this stage um, even though he inspired it so that's something i'm hoping that we can discuss um discuss later so that's that's chapter three and chapter four. All right. Thanks for pulling out those parts I I skipped. Okay, who has five and six? Oh, I do. All right. Okay, so in chapter five, the prophets begin to tell. Um, they begin to tell the Jews. Why have you stopped? You know, you, you can get back going. And they told them to go back and ask, um, you know, to find out who's, who's, who would help them to get started again. But they actually, it looks like to me that they started, they started getting going again because it says, what are the names of the men who are building the structure? And then God watched over the elders so that they were not hindered until reports could be sent to Darius and then written and then written order be back to them that it was okay to start back. And so a copy of the letter to King Darius was sent from, by the governor and he said, um, I want a report, you know. So King Darius, he said, um, he went you know, to check the archives. Yeah, he went. They went. They sent the people to the archives, and then he found out that that yes, um, Sirius, King Sirius, had issued a decree. So he said, all that gold and everything that they had was was decreed by King Sirius. So he told them, you have to give it all back, and they can start back building again. And so the. It, Chapter five is the decree of Darius, where he says, yes. "On my in the archives, I found everything they said was true, and now you have to let them get get working again, and you have to give them back everything you took from them." So, Don't you like the part where Darius goes, "Why should the king and his sons be punished by God?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> He says, don't stop them. Why should the king and his sons be punished by God? It's like, what's wrong with you guys? Give right. them what they need, please. <laughs> right. And so then, um, it's, it's just that they continued work on it. And then it says that then um, the exiles who were there decided um, to keep the Passover. And so the, on the 14th day of the first month, the Levites, everyone who purified himself for the occasion, set up the Passover and all the people became who were there and many who returned, Israelites who had returned and separated themselves from the uncleanness of the people of the land came in asking the Lord God of Israel 
and seeking the Lord God of Israel, and joyfully kept the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. And yeah. And, and then, that was and thanks then, to Ezra because Ezra knew all the laws and all the things we were supposed to do. Right. And so that made the king of Assyria favorable to them. So he gave them help in their work on this house of God and this house of God. And it seemed to me like he said, <clears throat> when Darius is saying, I don't want, I don't want to be cursed by their God. I think also, you know, this, um, King of Assyria is also saying um, he's favorable to them, I, and it says he's favorable to their house. I think that's another king that's saying, you know, if their god is saying it, I, I don't want to get the curses of that god on me either. So, right, help help them out and keep it going. Right, which is what any smart king or any smart president should be doing with the Christians. Okay, yeah. even if you're not born again, help the Christians, give them what they need, because or, <laughs> is it, why should the king and his sons be punished? <laughs> I love it. The king said that twice. Every time, you know, he was like really, really thinking about just himself and his sons. He's like, wait, the old king Cyrus put a curse and whoever should not help these people should be cursed. So said, Go ahead and help right. them. Why should the king and his sons be punished? Okay. Yeah, All right. Who's doing seven and eight? I'm doing seven and eight. Okay, cool. Okay. So we get into chapter seven, and now we find another king, Artaxerxes, who uh, okay. tells, uh, gives a letter to, to Ezra, instructing people to give them the money that they need to do their work and uh, to carry gold and silver for them. And, um, and then it talks about how they gave them a hundred of this and a hundred of that to do the different things. So I went into your book on the chapter on epistemology to see yes. what is all of this about. So when we look at the, um, the gold and the silver that the the gold is the divine nature and the silver is redemption. Yes. So when other people were reading, talking in the earlier chapters, we kept hearing about giving them the gold and the silver, the gold. And yes. The and uh, the gold is the divine nature and the silver is the redemption. That's very good. Redemption. And then when they were talking about giving them bullocks and goats and, and whatnot the sheep that um, the sheep are clean persons that obey the voice of god and right. are clean persons that do whatever they think is best so they didn't so they were giving them so basically i think it's more than talking about what specifically that they were giving them yes but it's talking more about um here we are building the God's temple and we're building it with um, clean clean people yes yes yeah Dr. K is taking us on a on a deeper dimension now I love it I love it I love it this is great this is 
this, I, I, look, everybody, please listen to what she's saying because she's actually giving you the spiritual meaning of, remember all those things I said, I don't want to read all those things, uh, 100 this, 2,000 sheep this. What, what she's doing is correct because she's giving us those sheep that you're seeing, they're reading, oh, they brought a 1,000 sheep, is you and I, okay? You know, the goats is you and I. Okay, the, the gold, what are you talking about? Gold is talking about the divine nature, the nature of Jesus Christ, love, okay, kindness, um, um, long suffering, patience. Everybody remember where the Bible talks about the fruits of the spirit? Yes. That, that's, manif that's the manifestation of gold. That's the nature of gold, the nature of God. And then she talked about the silver that was given. Silver stands for redemption, 30 pieces of silver, okay? Silver stands for redemption, okay? That, um, everybody remember that song? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Everybody remember that song? Yes. Good. So the redeemed are those who have been purchased with silver. Silver is redemption, okay? So these are the redeemed coming into the temple, the redeemed being used to build the temple, amen? Thanks a lot for taking us in that dimension. Dr. K is taking us in a deeper dimension. What she's teaching us is very, very, very important. So I'm glad this is being recorded. Sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. Yeah, so if you look at chapter 7, verse, starting at verse um, 12, from verse 12 through 16, I don't know if somebody wants to read that or if I should just go ahead and read it. Go ahead. Okay, amen. Verse 12 through what? Okay, let's do verse 11 through 16. I can read it. Okay. Said so now this is the copy of the letter that the king Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. Artaxerxes, king of kings, unto Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace, and at such a time. I make a decree that all they of the people of Israel and of his priests and Levites in my realm which are minded of their own free will to go up to Jerusalem to go with thee for as much as thou, yep. Just one second. That okay. notice here in 13, it struck me when it says, those that are, um, are, are minded of their own free will to yes. go to Jerusalem to go with thee. That that's how we come to Jerusalem is of our own free will too. Amen. Amen. Sorry, for as much as verse 14 for as much as thou art sent of the king and of his servant oh, sir and of his seven counselors to inquire concerning judah and jerusalem according to the law of thy god which is in thine hand and to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered unto the god of israel whose habitation is in jerusalem and all the silver and gold that thou canst find in all the province of Babylon with the free will offering of the people and of the priest 
offering willingly for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem, that thou mayest buy speedily with this money bullocks, rams, lambs with their meat offerings and their drink offerings and offer them upon the altar of the house of your God, which is in Jerusalem. And whatsoever shall seem good to thee and to thy brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, that do after the will of your God. Should I continue or stop? You can, you can stop there. So when, okay. when I was looking at this, that um, in verse 15, okay, sorry. In verse 14, he's talking about, he, he consulted his seven counselors as, <laughs> you know, seven being perfection. So yes, and he's carrying the silver and the gold. Now you see where I went, how I went deeper here. I don't know if it's yes. clear. And remember, and remember, it says the, the seven eyes of God, the seven spirits of God in the book of Revelation. Yes. The seven spirits of God that were, he said, these are the seven eyes and these are the seven, these eyes are the seven spirits of God around his throne. You see that in the book of Revelation. Yes. Good. So um, this is basically what I got from verse seven, because I was looking at that and I said, oh, when you read that, what you just read, that kind of lets you know that they're not just talking about gold and silver and all of this gold and silver and how much of this and how much of that. It's not just a bunch of talk. It has to be yes. something more than that. Yes. And then if you look at verse 22, um, from verse, yeah, verse 22 and verse 23, it says, unto a hundred talents of silver and to a hundred measures of wheat and to a hundred baths of wine and to a hundred baths of oil and salt without prescribing how much. Whatsoever yes. is commanded by God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of God, of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? But, but um, what I was concentrating on there was he's talking about silver again, wheat, wine, oil, and salt. So yes. if we look at those things, that um, silver is uh, redemption, is 100 talents of silver, and yes. 100 measures of wheat, wheat. Um, the bread of life. The bread of life. And then um, 100 baths of wine. That uh, The good Samaritan poured in the oil and the wine. Yes. And then salt. He's talking about the salt also. You know, we're you are the salt of the earth. Salt of the earth. And isn't that strange? Salt. Come to think, I never thought about that. That's strange to actually find the king saying, I mean, salt. Preservation. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Salt at that time was used for preservation. Yes. Yeah. In fact, the soldiers were paid in their, their salary. Right. Salt. Yes. So I wanted can I can I interrupt you a second? Sure. Look at look at Revelation chapter four, verse five. Talking about the seven counselors. 
Amen. 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 Okay. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the spirit, before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay, look at chapter five, verse six. Revelation chapter five, verse six. Amen. 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 And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. Amen. <laughs> Everybody can see now why we say the Bible is the word of God, okay? Most people would never have made the connection. Dr. K, if you hadn't gone deeper, wouldn't have had to even take a look at this. We'd have just moved on, okay? But all those numbers there have a reason, have a meaning, they have a purpose, okay? You and I know that God has one spirit, right? He doesn't have seven spirits. Right. Right. We know that. But here, it uses the word seven because seven is the number, is symbolic of perfection, amen? So it's talking about the perfect spirit, the spirit of God himself, not some angel. Okay. Yeah, and and so we, yeah, go on. The quantity of everything is 100. I, I never noticed that. Okay. Yeah. I know 10 is order. And yeah. no, the, the, Jesus said 30, 60, 100 fold. Okay. Okay. So it's talking about growth. It's, it's 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 talking about multiplication multiplying now that would be going too deep for us if we wanted to start going to the numbers aspect of things we wouldn't have time for that for the next three weeks <laughs> no problem and then um, okay go ahead okay and then in chapter eight um okay at the end of chapter seven that and if we look at verse 27 and 28, that uh, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which have put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors, and before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. So here um, he's giving thanks because they finally were freed from, you know, the 70 years of uh, captivity. And then all of those years after the captivity where they were frustrated in their building. And now this Artaxerxes has allowed them to start building again. And then in chapter eight, he talks about um, the genealogy of the fathers that went with him from Babylon to build the, the temple. And then we see starting in chapter in chapter eight, verse two, verses two through okay, two through fourteen, that he talks about the genealogy, but we see people like um, Phineas, Daniel, Farosh, Zechariah, um, that the children of these men, that that's yes. the way to them. 
to go continue the building. And then um, he gathered them in verse 15, he gathered them together to the river that runneth to Ahavana, and there stayed in tents three days and viewed the people and the priest and found that there weren't any Levites amongst them. Then he went searching the Levites because of course they can't do anything, um, any of the, offer any of the sacrifices in the temple without the Levites. So he went and tracked down the Levites and found the descendants of the Levites and then got together the rest of the things that they needed for the tent. And then they departed. They left the river of Anna on the 12th day of the first month and went to Jerusalem. And the hand of God was with them and they were delivered out of the hand of the enemy. And... Uh, um, do you notice in verse 22 of chapter 8 where he was scared of traveling and he could have asked the king for soldiers to protect him but said because I had boasted about how God was able to save I was ashamed to go and ask the king for soldiers to protect me. Did you guys yes. notice that in verses 21 and 22? Yes. Maybe you want to read that. Yeah. Okay. In verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Havana that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and for our little ones and for all our substance. For I was ashamed to require of the king a band of soldiers and horsemen to, keep, to help us against the enemy in the way because we had spoken unto the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all them for good that seek him. But his power and his wrath is against all them that forsake him. So we fasted, verse 23, so we fasted and besought our God for this, and he was entreated of us. Notice this, I don't know about you guys, but that part of it affected me so much because there's so many times when I want to reach out for some kind of help and I can't go to the unbelievers because <laughs> there I am claiming that God can do anything. You know what I'm trying to say? And I, I could feel this brother. I could feel this guy. Okay. There you are. You have the right to these soldiers, but you've opened your big mouth to say, my God is a great God. He can do anything. He can protect. And now all of a sudden it's, it's you know, it's showtime and you're like, <laughs> Can I get some soldiers, Reality please? <laughs> so I just I just saw that part and I thought, you know, it'd be good for us to kind of elaborate on that a little bit. Sorry for interrupting. Go ahead. That's okay. So I was just trying to keep it moving here. The, you know, in verse 31, they left. So they were at the river for 12 days. And after praying and, and everything, they gathered together all of their stuff. And on the 12th day, they left and headed to Jerusalem. Uh, yes. And when they got to Jerusalem, they were there three days. And then on the fourth day, the, um, they weighed the silver and gold in the house of God. Um, and the, 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 the Levites did the weighing of the gold. Um, I guess that's it. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So who's got nine and ten? 
Oh, wait a second. Sorry. The verse 36, I had highlighted verse 36. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay. And it says, and they delivered the king's commission unto the king's lieutenants and to the governors on this side of the river. And they furthered the people and the house of God. <clears throat> I wonder why. I don't remember why. Go ahead. Whoever has nine and ten. I don't remember why, but there was something that struck me about <laughs> That I don't remember now. That's fine. That's fine. No, at that time, it was probably something for you, not for us. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay, who's got nine and ten? Nobody took nine and ten. Okay. 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 Well, in chapter nine, Ezra. They've come over to Jerusalem now, and Ezra is about to begin the work, but he wants to make sure that all the people who are working in the temple are purely of Israelite descent, okay? There are some people who were part Israelites, part, you know, some other nation. That wasn't bad just being an Israelite, but to be a Levite, you couldn't be that. So he was specifically concerned about Levites who were half Levites, okay? Not half Levites as in half Levite, half Judah, half Reuben, but they were half Levite, half maybe Egyptian or Ethiopian or Assyrian or something, okay? So that's what chapter nine was all about. Can I, can okay. I say something? That's not what I saw in chapter nine. Uh, no, okay. What I saw in chapter nine was, okay, they finally got this temple rebuilt and Ezra takes off and he comes back and he finds that in chapter nine, verse one, it tells us that everybody starts doing the wrong things and worshiping other gods again. Yes. So they didn't learn anything from their 70 years in captivity and all of that trouble that they got trying to rebuild the temple. Because now in, in chapter nine, verse one, it says, now when these things were done, the princes came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands, doing according to their abominations, even of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Egyptians and the Amorites, for they have taken of them their daughters for themselves and for their sons, so that their holy seed have mingled themselves with the people of those lands. Yea, the hand of the princes and rulers have been chief in this trespass. And when I heard this thing, I rent my garment and, and my mantle and plucked off the hair of my head and of my beard and sat down astonished, astonished. So <laughs> we couldn't believe it that after all that they went through to try to rebuild the temple and they offered sacrifices and they kept the Passover and kept the feast of the tents. And then he comes back and finds they've gone right back to their wicked ways. Like they didn't learn anything. Right. Okay. I think that same, that same idea continues in chapter 10. And yes. um, it goes on and kind of ends there. You want to talk about 10 or 
basically 10 is basically just a continuation of nine. Um, it's really about genealogy, making sure yeah, that so the Levites- Ezra cries out to God and, uh, you know- Go ahead. Yeah, so Ezra, Ezra cries out to God and tells God in chapter nine that he's ashamed and he's, um, he's blushing to lift up his face to thee because our iniquities in chapter nine, verse six, and said, oh my God, I am ashamed and blush to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities are increased over our head and our trespass is grown up unto the heavens. And uh, so he, he, you know, basically confesses to God all the things that they have done. And he continues his prayers and confession. And he casts himself down before the house of God. And, um, and then he made the people feel bad also. And the people began to weep. The people wept and they were feeling bad for all the things that they had done. And then he um, made the chief priests and the Levites and of all Israel swear that they should do according to the word of God. And um, then this is in chapter 10. And then uh, in verse 7, he made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem unto all the children of the captivity that they should gather themselves together unto Jerusalem. And that whosoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the princes and the elders and, his all, and the elders, all his substance should be forfeited and himself separated from the congregation of those that have been carried away. So he basically gathers the, the people together in Jerusalem to um, basically chastise them for their wickedness and um, get them to return to God. Yes. And, uh, and then he had in the, he, the men that had taken strange wives and taken up their religions and whatnot, that he had to, they had to separate themselves from those wives. Um, so he was trying to do a cleansing and a purge of um, Israel so that he could restore order and return them to the worship of God. Correct. All right, that seems to be our study for Ezra. Um, I don't know if you know somebody has questions about anything we've looked at today, and um, we could just take five minutes or so to, you know, go over those. This is Mom. I had I had several questions in there since I had to listen to it rather than to read it. Uh, I missed exactly why these people were so fixated on building the temple, but lost their way as far as their training background and salvation. Yeah, they must not have had any, but it must just have been their history or something didn't hold them together in the way they were raised to marry strange women and do all these things all in the uh, face of building a temple. It seems like that took paramount over everything else. And I have trouble, how did that be? Is it because there was no Holy Spirit? Well, there wasn't any Holy Spirit, but if you recall at the beginning of the book, it says that these Israelites had been taken into captivity in Babylon as children so they were taken away from their parents so they grew up 
in Babylon, they had been highly educated and they were taught all of the ways of Babylon. So and they didn't have their own culture. They didn't have their own culture. Correct. Last week in Nehemiah, we read that Ezra sat down and he read to them for several days straight that they listened for four hours a day as he read to them the scriptures. That was their first exposure to the word of God. Okay. And then okay. they got all rallied up like, like we do when we hear a real powerful preacher speaking. We say, yeah, yeah, let's go do this. We're going to do that. We're going to serve God. We're going to do the right things. But like um, Brother Mike was saying earlier, that we didn't have the character. We didn't have, we, right. we had no upbringing. We weren't raised as a child. They weren't raised as children in the word of God. They weren't uh, rooted. They were rooted in Babylonian culture and Babylonian religion. So that's why it was so easy for them it was normal for them to take strange wives. It wasn't normal for them to follow the word of God because they really didn't know it. People couldn't read right. it back then and they had no mom and dad and aunts and uncles and grandparents chastising them. Well, uh, the, I thought about all of that too, even as uh, I raised my own family and then became the elder of a larger family after elders died. But somewhere along the way when uh, people become to the age of majority or what they think is majority, they do what they want to. And then they come back to you 20 years later and say, well, why didn't you tell me? And my answer was, who could make you listen? And you have to also remember, the Bible is about, is a book about nature. So we always have to remember when we're studying the Old Testament, that God is actually using the people in the Old Testament to teach us something. It's a very strange statement to make, but there's no other fine way to put it. Everybody in the Old Testament was used to teach the New Testament, okay? Number one, these people were normal human beings, just like anybody else in their, in their area, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Hittites, and so they were subject to the same influences those we were subject to. They did not have a different nature from those people. The difference between they and those people was simply this. God asked them to do something that God didn't ask the other people to do. The similarity between they and those people is neither of them had the nature or the capability to do all the things God said they should do, okay? So to say, why did they marry foreign wives? Well, they liked the girl they met, just like you and I would meet a girl or a guy. And you know, you might say, I can't stand black people until you meet a really beautiful black girl and all of a sudden you want to marry her, okay? Well, I can't stand white people. Then you meet this handsome white guy and now you want to marry him. All of a sudden, all your philosophy, your religion and your doctrine and all of that is gone you know you just flush it down the drain you say i can see the light now the truth is all you had was a bias with us in the new testament we receive from god a new nature so the things god is asking you to do are things inside of you you believe 
you you in you want to do those things you do find yourself not doing those things but that's a difference it's not you that's not doing those things it is sin in you that is not doing those things do you remember any scripture that supports what i just said the book of romans paul says i do not the things which i want to do and the things which I don't want to do, that I do. If then I do those things I would not and do not those things that I would, I prove that it is not I that doeth those things. It is sin that dwells in me that doeth those things. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? You can say that. I can say that. These guys in the Old Testament could not say that. They had no new nature. The new nature is the man, Christ Jesus. You have him, I have him. Whatever you are struggling with today that you're having a tough time with, very soon you'll overcome those things. They could never overcome anything. They were given laws and for every law they got, things just got worse. How do we know that? Paul said, I would never have known lust if the law had said, not said, thou shalt not covet. So all God's commandments did for the people in the Old Testament was put them into more trouble because it only reminded them more and more of what they were doing wrong. Mm. In the New Testament for you and I, the beauty of everything that we have is that the Egyptians we see today, we are guaranteed not to see them tomorrow. Why? Greater is he that is in us, he that is in me, he that is in you than he that is in the world. Okay. Said so this is what overcomes the world, even our faith, right? Yes. So those people in the Old Testament, it wasn't like they were stubborn or this or any different from you and I. The only difference is you have a new nature. They never had the opportunity to have a new nature. It's almost childlike. Yes. 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 We're free. True. We're children of God. They were servants of God. Moses was not a child of God. Neither was Abraham. <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. Elijah was not a child of God. You can't be a child of God unless you're born again. Yes. Every single one of us here is born again. We are the children of God. And Jesus said, the least who is born again is greater than anybody who ever lived in the Old Testament. Think about that. Of all men born by women, none is greater than John the Baptist. But the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus himself said so. So nobody should argue with me. So, <laughs> so we've studied Ezra, we have studied Nehemiah, and um, I would have said we should go on to um, Esther next week because it's all taking place about the same time, but I really don't think we ought to do that. I think we need to move on to something else. Um, I think we need to move on to something else. Um, I don't know... 
what you guys think. What I want to continue. Move on to. I think we should. I think we should go on to Isaiah. Okay. I think we should go on to Isaiah. Now I must point out that Isaiah and Jeremiah take place long before Daniel, Nehemiah, Ezra, and so on. But now that we understand what happened, because <laughs> remember Isaiah and Jeremiah were warning. Look, if you guys don't repent, you're going to go into captivity, correct? Yes. Now, right. we have seen them go into captivity. We've seen them get a kind of freedom from captivity. Remember, they never got their independence. Atazegzi, Cyrus, Darius, none of these kings ever gave Israel independence. Everybody remember that. Yes. All they gave them was the permission to go rebuild the temple. Israel remained a captive nation under those kings. And when those kings fell, Alexander the Great and the Greeks came. And after Alexander the Great and the Greeks fell, the Romans came. And after the Romans fell, okay, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, they became the dominant powers. And after those theocracies, America became the dominant power. Are you following, sorry, Spain, and then after Spain, England, and today it's America. Is everybody following me? Yes. Yes. So, okay, I want to, and I want, and this is very important. So today, the leaders of America who know the science, who understand the science, and I'm talking about something different now. They understand the science, and that is why they will tell you every time that they will always support Israel, okay? But I want you to understand they're not actually operating like Darius. That's what they want you to think, but it's a deeper science that they're operating on, okay? But another day we'll talk about those things. But to this day, Israel has never, Israel of the Bible has never been returned to their land and there will never be a physical Israel in Israel. What you have today is just a make-believe thing. It's not real, okay? Mm. Just take that from me. It's not real. God has ordained that it shall never be rebuilt again, okay? Until we say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Isn't that what Jesus said? Yes. Yes. Aha. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. So <clears throat> anybody who wants to argue with me, go take it up with Jesus. It says, until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, yeah. you shall never be returned to this place. Uh, so everything yeah. else you see is a make-believe. So make-believe. The Temple Mount, you see people going to cry and pray on, is no Temple Mount at all. That's an old Roman uh, a, a military barracks that fell down. Okay? So, yes. We're going to read Isaiah next. It has 66 chapters. So we're not yes. going to try to read this in one week, are we? No, 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 no. I, that's a very good point you brought up. We would never finish Isaiah even in a whole year. But I think it's good for us to read Isaiah in our own way this week, the whole book, okay, in our own way, and then we can discuss it. You might skip some parts. I'll understand if you did. But uh, try to get to know what Isaiah was all about. 
because Isaiah begins to prophesy about the coming of Jesus Christ. Okay. And the very powerful scriptures there that we need to know because Jesus said something. He says, listen, you don't have to believe me that I said I am who I am. But if you believe your scriptures, you would know I am who I am. And one of those scriptures he was referring to was Isaiah. Okay, so thanks for that point. There's no way we can finish Isaiah in one week, but you can do a refresher. You can read some chapters and then skip and read some other chapters, you know, and highlight things. And then let's talk about Isaiah next week. But it's very important that we talk about Isaiah. So I solicit your prayers. I solicit your support. Okay, I want to thank you for your time. For those of you who have been faithful, you know, supporting this work, for being involved, sharing these videos, okay? Don't be, don't, don't, don't get weary. Don't be weary. Don't get tired. Your strength is supposed to come brighter and brighter every day. Okay? Keep pressing on. Share these videos with your family and friends. Start watch parties on Facebook. Go over these videos so your friends and family can discuss it. Okay? And continue to write us. Write me through Facebook. Write me through you know, the, the comment section here on YouTube. Okay? So I want to encourage you. Thank you so much for the way you've been supporting us. Thanks so much for all that you've been doing. We really appreciate it. Remember what I said, if you want to continue listening to us, audio, you can always go, okay, to our website. You can see the online radio channels that you can get us through. Like I mentioned um, Apple's iTunes, I met Apple iTunes, I mentioned um, Spotify, and I think Google. You can also, you know, there are other platforms also through which you can hear us through audio, okay? I want to encourage you to subscribe to our channel and to, you know, hit the like buttons, hit the like buttons. I can't say that enough. Every time you want these videos through YouTube, hit the like buttons. Now, if you're watching through Facebook, or you're watching through some other video like WhatsApp, it's not going to show here, so more you see a like. But if you're watching through YouTube, I want to encourage you, or Facebook, wherever it is, I want to encourage you, hit that like button, okay? Hit that like button, it matters to us, okay? Thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for everything that you've been doing you know, by watching our videos.